0: So we'll be out of the book of Romans today, our reading from Romans. And Romans is notoriously difficult. Uh, Even if you start the book of Romans from the beginning, it feels like you're stepping into a very complicated Shakespearean play. Take like Hamlet, something really meaty. And you step into the middle of it without having a clue what just happened, and you find yourself going, There's a lot going on here, and I understand almost none of it. That's Romans. Uh, And part of the reason is because Paul is dealing with some very complicated, contextual things. And part of it is also because this is his, what we would call his magnum opus. This is the sum total of his career. And so as he is pulling together like these complex, mature ideas and explaining just what Jesus' death and resurrection means to all kinds of different people in different situations, it's easy to just get lost. So we're not going to sit on it and go like line by line, because if we did that, we'd be here all day, at least. Or to put it another way, this is not like my Bible study, which I teach after this service, where we've been on Genesis chapters 1 through 3 for like three months. Uh, We're not going to do that with Romans. But there are two lines that I think kind of sum this all up. Uh, The first is that opening line in our reading, when Paul says that, for I consider the sufferings in this world or at this time uh, to be incomparable to the glory that is about to be revealed to us. It's kind of my own translation. There's a a strong sense of suffering and groaning and pain and, and heartache now, but there's something about what's to come that will make all of that just kind of inconsequential, something to that effect. And then Paul goes through this whole like story of creation, really, how creation itself has uh, been struggling and suffering under um, futility, as he says. Uh, in other words, it's being ruled over by human beings that are not actually reflecting the image of God well. And he says that, that, that this creation is subjected to, to this futility, and it groans, and it waits, for, uh, and, and it's in pain, and it's suffering. And then he has this phrase, until now. And that, those two concepts are vital to understanding not just Paul, but what it means when we say that we have hope in Jesus. There's this weird like now and not yet. This, this painful moment here and then there's Jesus. He, he lives, he teaches, he creates this following which becomes the church. And then he is executed and then he is raised from the dead. And all of that creates the singularity, the this singular moment, this, this moment of discontinuity that then creates a new reality. And it's very, very hard to explain because that is all abstract. So what I'm going to do then is give you an illustration of how I think Paul envisions the moment that Jesus pops out of that grave. And how that shapes the way that not only he and and Christians back then, but but followers of Jesus now can look at both the moment, because I don't know if anybody has told you this, but life is kind of hard. But then how we can understand that, that Jesus' death and resurrection which means not only our sins are forgiven, but death itself has been defeated, how that shapes the way we view this moment. Also, fair warning, this illustration is the longest probably that I will ever do, but it will make my pain worth it. Several years ago, my family went on vacation to visit other family in July. And the vacation started off well and it turned into the worst vacation we've ever had. (laughs) Uh, It started off with fireworks and fun and family in a place that has, I think, like no rules about fireworks, which makes it really fun. Uh, No limbs or digits were lost. And as we were traveling back to uh, the family that we were staying with, my son, who was four at the time, started getting sick. I have his permission to tell this story, by the way. Uh, He was four. So at four, you don't really understand anything. All he knew is that he had this cough, and it was getting hard to breathe. And it was getting worse. So eventually, we take him to urgent care in that town, And he has this respiratory infection. And so in response, they give him steroids. Um, I don't know if you've ever had steroids. Not like steroids, but the steroids that doctors will give you. But in a certain percentage of the population, they can make you manic, angry. They actually do that to me too. Uh, The first time I had to take steroids, I just got mean and angry. Apparently, my son is similar. Of course, he's four. None of this is his fault. He has no idea what's happening. All he knows is that he's furious and he is sick. I mean, and when I say sick, I mean high fever hallucinating sick. And just became a nightmare for everybody in the house. Again, totally not his fault. He's four, and he's been given a very very strong medication. And shall we say it wore on everybody, including him. It was miserable. It was horrible. For everybody in the house, we were all just white-knuckling it, waiting to get home, because then at least we can, like, retreat to our rooms or something like that. Um, This was during the week. The plan is that we would fly back home. Uh, I think. I think it was. Yeah, it had to have been on Friday. I would either oversee or preach. Uh, I either was leading the services or I was preaching. I can't remember which. But at this church uh, where I was at, there were four services. Uh, Makes for a long weekend. But then that Sunday afternoon, late evening or early evening, I was flying out because I was in grad school. So I was going to be gone the entire next week. And it was a seminar style class. So that means you do a whole bunch of reading and writing beforehand. So during this week, I had figured I would be able to steal away some time and do some reading. And I had about 35, 40 pages of writing I needed to do because As part of seminar, you present and you argue with your classmates and whatever. It's a ton of work, but it's good. Um, I didn't get that. Because we were all just trying not to kill each other. And not only that, we were worried sick about my son, because he was really sick. And he was also going crazy, which was hard to live with, and it was just a mess. Now, like all vacations, thankfully, this one came to an end. So we were flying back. Uh, The vacation started, by the way, with us flying out of LAX. We lived in Orange County at the time. If you have never been to LAX, you are to be called blessed. If you have never been, don't. It's awful. It's LA at its worst, which as a many-generational Southern Californian, (laughs) that's saying something. Um, we also decided that we needed to save money because park, everything's expensive in LA. Parking was going to be expensive, so we went with the discount parking garage. Um, it cost us at least $150 to park for the week. And this was a bunch uh, several years ago, so it already started off weird. So we go uh, to the airport, the the local airport, to fly back home. The flight was about three hours. We get to the airport and already something's off. You know, like when you go to the gates where your airline is going to be, where your flight's going to be leaving, and there's too many people there? You know what I'm talking about. It's delayed. It's like, this vacation's never going to end. I won't name them, but we were flying with, shall I say, a discount airline. Um, And it felt like we were flying with the junior varsity of the airlines. It's just like, I mean, yeah, they got us there, but... They didn't do a great job. Um, so it's delayed an hour. Okay, fine. We'll deal with it. Because it's already in the evening, and so it's going to be late when we get to LAX and then drive an hour home. Then it's delayed another hour. And then another hour. So now you're st- I'm starting to play the game. You know, my, my son is still sick, of course, and I'm starting to play the game. Oh, okay. So if we leave, if it's, let's see, it's 10 o'clock in the evening now, 10, 11, 12, uh, 1 o'clock, we get to LAX. It's going to take us like a half hour to get some smelly shuttle to go to this discount. Uh, That's going to be another half hour, and I'm never going to get home. So um, this whole time, of course, I'm freaking out because this just made my next day complicated. Uh, I have a lot of schoolwork to do, and I have work to do all weekend, like my actual job. I don't know how this is going to work. It's going to be a mess. And I'm already exhausted and just bled dry from the week. We, um, we arrive at LAX about 1.32 o'clock in the morning. And we find this smelly old shuttle to go to this discount um, parking garage. And we're just wrecked exhausted. Dash does not feel well and of course he's not sleeping and now he's really not sleeping because it's 2 in the morning. So we get everything in the car, put the key in the ignition and <laughs> <laughs> And it's like 2, 2.30 in the morning by this point point. and so we talk to the, like, the parking garage people who have the night shift and one of them was kind enough to bring their car around and we tried jumping it it's not starting. So we go down to this like lobby, which is just still just part of the garage. It smells like tires and oil. And there's some like weird show on Nick at Night from the 1960s or something like that that ran one or two seasons. And uh, so I, I, I call my car insurances AAA, um, their, or their version of AAA, hey, policy, blah, 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 We've got a car that won't start. We're near LAX at such and such, um, you know, Bob's discount uh, uh, parking garage or whatever. They're like, okay, yeah, it's going to be a little while to get a wrecker there. Um, You know, maybe 45 minutes. I'm like, fine, I don't care. Uh, We're at this parking garage. And he goes, oh, wait, 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 What, uh, what level are you on? We're on the fifth level. Oh, yeah, we can't get a wrecker up there. So what do I do? I I don't know. Like, click, fine, whatever. At that point, it's like, I'm just going to take the license plates, file the VIN number, and set the thing on fire and claim it on insurance. I'm done. This is awful. Like, there are no options. So, eventually, we just decide, um, fine, I'm calling an Uber at 3 in the morning, and we're just going to go home, and I'm going to kick this can to tomorrow morning. Now, Everything's a mess. I don't know how I'm going to be present and prepared for preaching all that. Weekend, four services, Friday or Saturday night and three Sunday morning. Uh, I am behind on schoolwork. <sighs> so we call an Uber. I think this is going to be expensive. We get all our stuff in. We're driving home. And I realize this Uber is costing me $40. $40. 40 times two is 80. 80 is a fair bit less than 150 which is what I paid to park. And at that point, the tightness in my chest and my arm started to hurt and it was sore. Like, it's like, I'm going to see Jesus real soon. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, so my parents lived about an hour away at the time and I called them and uh, I was like, can you just take me to LAX? Um, we've got to figure out this car situation. It, it didn't jump start. So, and I don't know a ton about cars. I think maybe it could be the battery. It might not be because it didn't jumpstart. I have no idea what's wrong. The only thing I can fix is the battery. So I just go to like the Walmart down the street, get a battery as the Lutheran equivalent of a Hail Mary. I don't know what that is. And we drive up to LAX. Nice, calm, relaxing drive as I'm just white knuckling it because everything's a mess. We only have one car at the time. How am I going to get all this schoolwork done? How am I going to be prepared for this weekend for uh, either preaching or overseeing services? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. So we get the battery. Uh, We drive, you know, fifth floor. I've got my tools and pull the battery out, put the battery in, and basically everything lives or dies by this moment. And uh, after installing the battery, I put the key in the ignition, and it starts. The car now works. Everything hinged on that moment. Because if that car did not start... There were no other options. Or any possibility is going to be very complicated, and I truly don't know how anything else would have happened in the fallout. But that car started. I drove it home. We got rid of that spiteful little beast in December, by the way. Now, the moment that car started did not mean my problems are solved. I still had to prep for, again, either preaching or leading services. I just can't remember which one. I still had a bunch of schoolwork. I still had a, like, both reading and writing, uh, and it was a lot of it. We still had to make sure, Nash, my son, was going to be feeling better because I was leaving for that week. Uh, we still had to just take some kind of deep breath after the misery that was that, the vacation of the previous week. But the car started. We are going to be okay. As Paul is saying, these very big audacious sounding things like our present suffering is not comparable to the glory that is about to be revealed or creation has been struggling under its futility and it has been suffering until now. What he means is that the instant Jesus has been raised from the dead, the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the one that we have been waiting for for countless generations, in this shocking twist of fate that nobody sees coming, and I mean, quite literally, nobody alive at that time except for Jesus understands what is about to happen. The instant he defeats death itself, Means that in some really hard to understand way, we now have a guarantee that we are going to be okay. It does not mean that all of our problems are solved. I think we can all agree our problems are not solved in this moment. If you think that you are deluding yourself, however, to paraphrase a very famous theologian, Stanley Hauerwas, when Jesus came out of that grave alive, Jesus is now Lord. Anything else is nonsense. Does it mean that your suffering uh, should just be dismissed? Absolutely not. Does it mean that that the struggles that you encounter, uh, you should just ignore them or that they don't matter? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that when Jesus dies and takes on the sin and darkness and mortality of the world and is raised from the dead means that we now understand two things. One, I know how the story ends. It doesn't matter how the plot goes at this moment. Like, I will never forget that when I had first been diagnosed with leukemia, a whole bunch of years ago now, and I mentioned to the receptionist at my new oncologist, like, yeah, uh, I'm new here. Uh, Oh, what do you do? I go to the seminary down the street. I just got diagnosed with leukemia. We'll see how this goes. And she said, and I I will never forget that she looked me in the eye and she said, we are promised resurrected bodies. This moment, if it's hard, if it's complicated, if you truly have no idea how to navigate it, is fine. It is a plot point that is leading to your resurrection in Jesus. The mistakes that you have made, the mistakes that you are making, the, the things that, that you might have filled your life with that, that are, have grown into this thing that has its own personality now and you don't know what to do about it is a plot point that both has been and will be resolved in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because we now have a promise. From the words of Paul that he will transform our bodies, our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So when Paul says that, that, that the sufferings in this time, and there were sufferings in that time, and you get a sense that Paul understands that things are about to get worse. are in they're not comparable to that glorious final moment when all the resolution comes as a result of that first moment when Jesus takes on death and sin and mortality and walks out of his tomb and creates a new reality. And and he brings that new reality into our hearts. We've been baptized with Jesus into his death, buried with him in our baptism And we are raised to walk in new life, resurrection life. And so the story of the followers of Jesus is not a story without suffering. It's not a story without struggle. Nor is it a story without mistakes or problems that we ourselves cause. And it's obvious we caused them and yet we did it anyway. Our story is defined by how it ends. And if we know where this story is going, then the struggle and the pain in this moment feels kind of secondary. Not unimportant. It's not that it doesn't hurt. It's not that it's not even overwhelming. But it is all temporary because this is going toward new life. That's how our story ends. Amen. As you are able, I invite you to rise.